out of order as far as those go. But I'm going to invite Jason here. You can you can stay there if you want. Or... Revelations 2.18. <clears throat> and to the angel of the church in Thyatira write, The words of the Son of God, who has eyes like a flame of fire, whose feet are like burnished bronze. I know your works, your love and faith and servants and patient endurance, and that your latter works exceed the first. But I have this against you, that you tolerate that woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess and is teaching and seducing my servants to practice sexual immorality and to eat food sacrificed to idols. I gave her time to repent, but she refuses to repent of her sexual immorality. Behold, I will throw her onto a sickbed, and those who commit adultery with her I will throw into great tribulation, unless they repent of her works. And I will strike her children dead, and all the churches will know that I am he who searches mind and heart, and I will give to each of you according to your works. But to the rest of you in Thyatira, who do not hold this teaching, who have not learned what, should, what some call the deep things of Satan, to you I say, I do not lay on you any other burden. Only hold fast what you have until I come. The one who conquers and who keeps my works until the end, to him I will give authority over the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron, as when earthen pots are broken in pieces, even as I myself have received authority from the Father. And I will give him the morning star. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Let's pray. God, our Father, we thank you for your word and revelation. We ask that you would bless us this day as we seek to apply this word to Thyatira to the church here at Allegan Bible. Lord, we pray uh, that you would be blessed and honored and glorified. It's in your name we ask this. Amen. All right. Now all you kids can feel free to go down to junior church if you'd like to, now that we, I, uh, Mr. Jason is ready to go with you. Um, for those kids who are staying up here with us today, I uh, just want to give you some background on the book of Revelation before we actually jump into the exposition of the text. Um, and so here's, here's that. Um, so <clears throat> Hermer... Uh, who is a theologian that I'll read about sometimes in his commentaries and stuff like that, uh, recognizes that this is the longest and most difficult of the seven letters addressed to these churches. Uh, so you may have noticed that too, that Thyatira got the most uh, written to it. Um, but it's, it's actually one of the least important of the cities there in, in, in Asia there. And it's one of the least remarkable of the cities. So it's interesting that uh, Jesus is writing the longest letter to those who seem to be least important. Um, but that's kind of how he does things, right? Um, so uh, this, uh, if you followed this overland route from Pergamum to Sardis, travelers would go eastward along the south bank of the Caiacus River, and then that would be where you'd see this broad, fertile land <coughs> of where Thyatira was built up. This journey of about 40 miles would take you just across the Mycenaean border of the city of Thyatira, situated on the south bank of Lycus in the long north. Uh, I'll tell you what, Woods, Gabe, will you go get me a mint? My throat is starting to close up. Sorry about that to, to call you out like that. But I know you're willing. I love you. 
Um, so <clears throat> with the coming of these uh, stable conditions under the Roman em- rule there, Thyatira was destined for growth and prosperity, even though it wasn't like super important. And what it ended up becoming is a center for manufacturing and, and marketing uh, because of where they were situated. So even though they had a lot of that stuff going on, they weren't um, you know, super important like Ephesus or, or one of the other ones. But um, thank you. Um, so the characteristics of this, uh, there was a large number of trade guilds that were a part of the city, as you, as you might imagine. Uh, so picture, if you will, kind of a modern day thing. You, you've, you've got like the automotive center, you've got like the paper mills, you've got the, the pharmaceutical company, you've got, so, so now go back and you've got, you know, I don't know, I don't know, the wooden wagon wheel makers and you've got the, you know, I don't know the whatever, right? Uh, but, but you've got all these different guilds that are a part of these society situations that, that make up the city of Thyatira. And so uh, the, everybody who was an artisan or had these different things would be also then a part of these guilds. This is how, this is, you, you, you know, um, uh, what's it called when you're a part of a group of people and then you strike? You, you, no, no, you strike because you're not a, a union. This is union. The, the, these are all different unions, right? And so if you weren't a part of the union, that wasn't good for you as, as a business person. Excuse me for putting that in. Hopefully it doesn't click too much. So there were wool workers, there were linen workers, uh, there were outer garments, there were, uh, there were dyers, there were leather makers, tanners, potters. Hence, he talks about breaking things as, as a potter. So some of these things are going to play into the minds of those in Thyatira when they're doing this. One of the most famous that you may be familiar with is a woman named Lydia. Does that ring a bell to any of you, right? And so Lydia, in the book of Acts, uh, we're talked about Lydia, who was a dealer in purple cloth from the city of Thyatira, who also had a house in Philippi because, you know, purple cloth was expensive. It took a lot to make that, so she was probably well off, they say. And so she had a couple houses, one in Thyatira, one here in Philippi, and um, they met with her, and they went, and they lived in her house for a little bit and stuff like that too. So we know about Lydia from that. So these towns in the Roman world tended to be uh, laid out in squares, very logical. That's how the Romans like to do things. And they would each control different sections. So, for example, the leather workers would have this block, right? The tanners would have this block. The dyers, purple dyers or whatever, you know, they would have this block. The wool workers would have. And so you'd have this city laid out in this way, and each would know their own part, and each would go to their own guild, and each would participate in their own things here. And these guilds were at the heart of the religious life in town also, because each had a patron god that they would all honor so that that god would bless their labor, right? So you had the god over wool working and the god over leather working and the god over whatever. Sounds kind of similar to what you were talking about. Lots of kings and queens, many little kings and queens who are over all these interesting territories and had a bunch of power because of that. All right, so that's the background of the city. So you kind of know who they are and where they're coming from. So I'm going to talk about something for just a minute, and I'm going to give you parents, uh, I guess, a, uh, a warning. However, I would say these are things that we need to talk about in church, and uh, so I'm going to talk about it because I love you. You ready? Uh, I'm getting some of this online from something called the Conqueror Series. This was published in June 5th of 2023 by uh, the writer Jeremy uh, Wiles or Willis. I'm not sure how to pronounce his last name. I don't know the guy. 
Over 40 million Americans are regular visitors of porn sites. There are around 42 million porn websites, which total around 370 million pages of porn. The porn industry's annual revenue is more than the NFL, the NBA, and the Major League Baseball, MLB, combined. It is also more than the combination revenues of ABC, CBS, and NBC. That's a lot of money. 47% of families in the United States reported that pornography is a problem in their homes. Pornography use increases the marital infidelity rate by more than 300%. 11 is the average age that a child is first exposed to porn. 94% of children will see porn by the age of 14. 56% of American divorces involve one party having, quote, obsessive interest in uh, pornographic websites. 70% of Christian youth pastors reported that they have had at least one teen come to them for help in dealing with pornography in the past 12 months. 68% of church-going men and over 50% of pastors view porn on a regular basis. Of young Christian adults, 18 to 24 years, 76% actively search for porn. 59% of pastors said that married men seek their help for porn use. Uh, that's worded badly. I'm sure that what they mean there is for freedom from that. 33% of women aged 25 and under search for porn at least once per month. Only 13% of self-identified Christian women say that they have never watched porn. 87% of Christian women have watched it. 55% of married men and 25% of married women say they watch porn at least once per month. 57% of pastors say porn addiction is the most damaging issue in their congregation. 69% say that porn has adversely impacted the church. But here's part of the problem with that. Only 7% of pastors say that their church has a program to help people struggling with this disease. That's a problem. I have a few more statistics here, but I, th I think my point is made. So now I want to go to the text. And I hope that as we go through this, it'll make sense why I read all that to you. So if you're a note taker, uh, as we move into the first part of 2, 18 through 29, you have a copy of God's Word there. Uh, Jason read it to us, but just to refresh you and have it on the screen. Um, and the angel of the church of Thyatira write, the words of the Son of God, who has eyes like a flame of fire, whose feet are like burnished bronze. I know your works, your love and faith and service and patient endurance, and I know your later works exceed your first. Oh, is this the whole thing? Did you back me up? Thank you for doing that. This is the first point. The Lord's description. This is what he's going to say in 18 and 19, which I think I don't have any more text. Good. You have a Bible. Open it, okay? Revelation 2, 18 and 19, that's where it is. You should have been there already. Uh, if not, you can find it on your phone or on your Bible or wherever you need to. But if you're a note taker, the first thing he talks about there is this is the Lord's description. He's going to describe two different things. He's going to describe his person and his people, all right? The first thing that we see there is the description of his person. If you have the text there, you can see that, but this is what he says. He says he is the son of God. He says he has eyes like flame of fire, and his feet are like burnished bronze. This is the first time in the book of Revelation uh, where he will be referred to as the son of God. 
I believe it actually might be the only time where he's directly referring to himself as the Son of God. Part of the reason he's doing that is, again, you need to understand the context of who he's writing to, the time he's writing to, and where he's writing to. And at this time, to the people who he's writing to, emperor worship was huge. One of the main gods that they would worship was Apollos. And if you know anything about Greek mythology or Roman mythology or any of those kind of things, Apollos is the son of Zeus. Zeus is supposed to be the high god. So that makes Apollos the son of God. And Jesus is writing to those at Thyatira saying, you think that that guy Apollos is the son of God. What I'm here to tell you is I'm the son of God. Same thing with Caesar, right? Caesar was thought to be theistically born. He was the son of God here on earth. Jesus is saying, no, 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 no. I'm the son of God. You also see in the text the description that he gives himself, eyes like a flame of fire. Now, we talked about this when we first gave this description, but I want to remind you of it because I know that that was a little while ago. What he's talking about there is his eyes are piercing. His eyes are discerning. His eyes see into our hearts. There is nothing hidden that will be not laid bare, right? And so Jesus is telling them, I'm the son of God. I have the ability to discern, to see. And then he's also talking about his feet there, that they are those of power, those of of, uh, uh, just ability, of strength. He will not be moved. He will not be shaken. And so he's reminding them, who he is. He's reminding the church at Thyatira who he is, not only as God's son, but also the ability that he has as that person, that role, that part of the Trinity. And then I said uh, he gives a description. He gives a description of the people. So he describes his person, and then he describes the people. And it is a good description. This is the kind of description that you and I should want. He says, I know your works, your love and faith, your service and patient endurance, and that your later works exceed the first. That's good, isn't it? He says, I see your affection. This is this word agape, this love for one another, self-sacrificing love, a genuine concern for one another. If you know anything about me, or if you've been here for any length of time, you've heard me say, you know, I want uh, the theme of Allegan Bible Church to be love acts. You know, when we love each other, it, 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 must, it must have feet so to speak. It must must have hands, so to speak. It must take action. We can't just say, hey, I love you, and then never have any concern or or care for one another, never reach out to those who are in need in the congregation. We ought to be about the business of actually loving one another with hands and feet, not just words, right? This is what they're saying about this church. They, They see the affection, the love, the agape for one another. That is great. He said, I see your faith. They have trust in this God. They have service. Uh, this is this word for deacon, right? This uh, servanthood, literally working for one another. It says patient endurance, this steadfast, long-suffering. We've already seen in other churches that uh, uh, persecution is happening. My guess would be it's happening here. Part of the persecution that I think they're talking about here is knowing what we know now about this, about the city and about the trade guilds and all those kind of things. It very well may be the case that some of these Christians sometimes were out of work or didn't get the contracts, or didn't get the, you know, the same kind of treatment that these other trade guild workers would get because they were in the in crowd and they were doing the in things. And these Christians who couldn't do that, they were still suffering well. They were being patient in their endurance, knowing what they were doing was right, even though financially it may be costing them something. He says, I know your works, your deeds, they're increasing. I hope that it's true for you that the longer you've been a Christian, the more you can see the history of what God is sanctifying you from. That we are getting more and more and greater and greater to be like Christ. 
You can ask my wife and my kids, I have not arrived. But I also know that if you ask some of my buddies who knew me from high school, they would say, well, you sure have come a long way. And praise the Lord for that, right? I know I have a long way to go. But he's saying, I know your works. I see them. They're, they're, they're not wasted. And so I want you to be encouraged by that this morning too. He says, I've got these eyes that see. They're like, they're like fire. And so what you need to know is, Christian, your works are never wasted. So just like anything else, it's a two-edged sword, right? He sees our hearts. He sees our minds. He sees what nobody else sees about you that you so desperately hope nobody ever does see about you. But he also sees all the good that you are seeking to do in his name. And so I don't know about you. This is the kind of Christian that we should all want to be, this one right here, the way that he describes these people. They have love for one another. Their faith is growing. Their servanthood is abounding. They're patiently enduring all this stuff. Their works are increasing That gets me excited. I hope that gets you excited. I want this to be the description for me. I want this to be the description for you. This is the description that Jesus is giving to these people. This is the kind of church that we should want to be, plus the church that Ephesus is, right? And so each one of these churches, they have things that they need to change, and and Jesus is going to tell them about that. Each of them have their perks. This church is doing well so far, right? But we go from the Lord's description, then, if you're a note-taker, to the Lord's denunciation. That's the next thing he talks about here, which is not so good a thing. So if you have God's Word in front of you, you'll see this is in Revelation 2, 20 through 22. He says, after all those things, but I have this against you, that you tolerate that woman Jezebel. She calls herself a prophetess and is teaching and seducing my servants to practice sexual immorality, to eat food sacrificed to idols. I gave her time to repent, but she has refused to repent from her sexual immorality. So behold, I'll throw her onto a sickbed, and all those who commit adultery with her, I'm going to throw into great tribulation unless they repent from their works. So there's a denunciation that he gives them. And so the first part of this denunciation we need to see is is its source. Where is this coming from? What's coming from verse 20 there, uh, this woman Jezebel. But it's not only just coming from her. If you look closer, it's... It's not just her. Who's really to blame here or who's a part of the blame here? It's the church. It's because they are tolerating this. I looked up tolerance. Here's what the definition says. Allow the existence, occurrence, or practice, and then here's in quotes, of something that one does not necessarily like or agree with, and then end quote, without interference. That's tolerance. Another definition of tolerance, so they gave me several. Here's the two that I'm picking. There's three that I get. I just, on my Apple computer, just dictionary, put them in, whatever. I'll read all three so you don't think I'm being biased. Ready? Here's the second one. Acceptance or endurance. Quote, something or, someone or something, unpleasant or disliked, end quote, with forbearance. And then the third one, what I was going to read to you is this. To be capable of continued subjection to, in quotes, a drug, toxin, or environmental condition, end quote, without adverse reaction. Doesn't tolerance sound great? Um, you guys ever seen Princess Bride? You know that scene, like, when he drinks that poison because he's built up his tolerance to it? That's great because it didn't kill him. Do we really want to be building our tolerance up to poisons? I mean, do, do we really want to be building ourselves up so that we can tolerate all the wickedness in the world? Do we really want to continue to make our hearts 
hardened and sickened so that when the sick and the hard things happen, we're not as affected by it? I mean, is that really what we want when we think of tolerance? I don't want tolerance. I don't want to be tolerant, and I don't want this church to be tolerant. I don't want you to be tolerant, and I, yes, internet, I said it. Especially if this is the definition of tolerance. So this congregation here, he says the denunciation is firstly the source, which is the tolerance that the church has, but it's also then not only the tolerance, but the teacher, this, this Jezebel, right? Now, I also Googled uh, or looked up Jezebel. Now, I, I was familiar with, if you call a woman a Jezebel, that's not a good thing. And I, I've always known that, right? Now, what you may not know is where that comes from. That does come from the Bible also. It's King Ahaz, I think, his wife Jezebel, and they, they lead them into all kinds of different things, the worship of false gods. There's all kinds of different things that happens with that until, right, the, 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 the prophet has his way and, and burns up all the stuff. And, and even then, he was kind of bummed out about it. You should read it. It's in the Bible. You'd like that. But they're tolerating this teacher, this Jezebel, who claims herself to be a prophetess. And notice in the text it says, who calls herself a prophetess. And then it's not only this person, which, which I, I believe this, so, so two things. I believe that this, this, okay, historically Jezebel was a real person in the Old Testament. In this, I think they're using the term figuratively. So there was a real person whose name probably wasn't Jezebel, maybe it was, whose name probably wasn't Jezebel, but he's, he's using that similarity to, to point back to that person. He's saying you're tolerating this person. So it's a real person at this point, but it's also not only just the person, it is the teaching of that person. So those are the three things. They all are start with T2 in case you missed that. There's the tolerance, the teacher, and then the teaching. Three separate things. All part of the denunciation, if that makes sense. For the first part, it's source. That's the source, okay? So you have the people who are tolerant of things they shouldn't be tolerant of. There's a teacher who's teaching things that shouldn't be taught. And as a person, they're following her. Have you also heard of the cult of personality? If you are only coming to Elegant Bible Church because you like me, that's a problem. Go to a church. I, I hope you like me. That's great. I like you. Uh, but you should come to a church because they're preaching the word, not because you like the person. So, is the teacher guilty? Yes. But so are the people. The people are guilty also. The people are guilty for being okay with the teacher and the teaching. And so again, that brings me back to you. It is my prayer that God would preserve me in this pulpit until I finally either die or can hand the torch off to the next uh, person who can who can take that role, okay? But until then, I would pray that you would pray for me that I would not fall into this category. So it is the teacher who is guilty, but the people are guilty too. Which brings me to your note cards. You've got two of them. Here's my question for you. You've got two note cards on one right now or throughout the rest of the sermon, I want you to allow God to speak with you. And I want you to write down what is it that is your Jezebel? What is it that you are tolerating that you know doggone well God has said? You need to repent from that. And because our scripture tells us not only to put, to put off but also to put on, 
This is why you have two note cards. Are you ready? The first one is just the put off. What is the Jezebel in your life that you are tolerating that God is telling you? Now, I want you to listen to the text, too. I have given you, he says, where am I? Verse 21. I gave her time to repent, but she refuses to repent. Verse 22, towards the end. I'm going to do all this stuff unless they repent of her works. So this brings me to the next point. So not only the source, but it's stubbornness. The stubbornness of sin Our hearts are bent away from God. It is our natural, natural man, natural woman, is our natural heart to not go for God, but to be against God. All the way back to the garden. So your first card, I want you to write down on there, what is the Jezebel that I've been tolerating that I need to deal with today? The second card, I want you to write that too. But then on the second card, I also want you to write, what is the other part of that? So So if I need to get rid of, and I'll just give you some random examples, okay? If, if, if you're in that camp that we just talked about with all that pornography, then that's what you need to write down. If you're in the camp of, I consume social media way too much and I need to take a step back from that. If you're in the camp of, I, I am a workaholic and I cannot stop doing that. If you're of the camp of, you know, I, I really, uh, I don't have a good filter on my mouth and I gossip and I need to get rid of that. If you're in the camp of, hey, I... I I indulge in food too much, and so I need to hone in my self-control. I, I don't know what it's going to be for you. That's not my job. That's the Holy Spirit's job. But whatever your Jezebel is, on the one card, I want you to write that down. And, and here's what my challenge is going to be for you as we continue to go through this. My challenge is, is at the end of today, as you walk out of here, there's a trash at the back. I know this is very campy or kitschy or whatever. I don't care. I don't care. Here's my challenge to you. The, the one that you are writing down that is the Jezebel you need to get rid of, I, w- I want you to write that on there, and then as you go out, I want you, to, I want you to fold that, and I want you to throw it into the trash can. But the other card, you can rip it up. You can do whatever you want with it. That's fine. Just don't set it on fire. But the second card, I want you to write both the, the Jezebel that I'm going to put off, the Jezebel that I'm going to repent from that God has laid on my heart, but then also, what is it instead that I need to put on and then what I want you to do is probably the most valiant thing of all, because let's just be honest. I could fold a blank card in half and throw it in the trash, and everybody would think that I wrote something on there. If you want to do that, that's fine. That's between you and God. I, whatever. The real valiant thing is when you get home, I want you to take a piece of tape, and I want you to tape that up on your bathroom mirror so that daily, instead of just hearing a sermon on one Sunday, being convicted, and then going about the rest of your life, I want you to make practical steps, and I want God to lead your practical steps. I don't know what that is. That's not my job to tell you that. I can help counsel you with that, and I would love to. That's fine. But I want you to tape that up on your bathroom mirror so you can see what God laid on your heart, what the Jezebel is that you need to cast out and cast off and no longer tolerate, and what it is that you're going to put on to serve the Lord who has called you. Let's stop being stubborn is what I'm saying. So we see in the text, he gave them time to repent, but they did not. This is the deceitfulness of sin. We tend to think to ourselves, well, nobody knows about it. It's not that big of a deal. Or I have plenty of time to get rid of that. Or, you know, hey, I'll, I'll, I'm, I'm better than I was. I'm not where I want to be, but I'm better than what I was. Listen, that's the deceitfulness of sin talking. So what is it that you need to repent from? What has God been laying on your heart that you need to repent from today? I'm going to beg you, please don't delay. 
Because the last thing we see here is that it will be suppressed, not in the way that we think about suppression. It's going to be dealt with. God tells us that in the text. He says it's going to be dealt with by the sickbed and by tribulation. Sorry, I was really trying not to crunch that. But this is so tempting. I know it's coming through the loudspeaker. Anyway. Now listen, some of you, whatever. Here's the deal, man. AIDS, monkeypox, syphilis, gonorrhea, all this other kind of stuff. You think that's not how it's supposed to be. That's not how it's supposed to be. But that's, that's how God deals with sin. If people don't repent, they reap the consequences of that. And it may not be that for you, but it's going to be something. You cannot think to yourself, well, I'm not, I'm not practicing that kind of sexual sin, so I don't have to worry about that. Well, it's going to be something else. I, you know, sometimes you, you, you've heard these pastors that like run away with the secretary or something or do something or whatever, and it's just devastating. It's devastating to the church. Or they get involved, with, they're found out that they're like engaged in prostitution or something like that. Would you pray, would you please pray that God would just straight up kill me before anything like that happens? Um, and I don't mean kill me before it comes out. I mean straight up, like if, I'm, if it, there's ever something like that, that I would just die. Could you imagine if I dropped dead right now? That'd be crazy. <laughs> Pray also that that doesn't, pray that God would protect me from having to kill me. Both of those things would be good. I would appreciate both of those things. Holy moly, that would be bad news, wouldn't it? But we need to understand, here, here, here's the thing. God's punishment is either for your good or for his glory, and, and most of the time, both. Don't be deceived in thinking that these are things that you can just get away with it because nobody knows. Because what did he say? He's got eyes of fire. He knows. He sees. And he will not be mocked, the Bible says. Especially if we claim his name. Woe to you who claim the name of Christ, but then flagrantly walk in some kind of a Jezebel-like sin where God is continuing to lay this on you, and you are just saying, hey, I'm going to refuse to repent because I haven't experienced any consequences yet. He says there will be suppression. There is no such thing as getting away with it. And so that brings me to the, to the next thing where he talks about, th- this is the Lord's discipline that we're talking about here. I think I've already made this point, so I'll, I'll go with this quickly for you guys who are, are note takers. Here's the, your three points. You can write those down as we talk through this. In Revelation 2, 22 through 25, we see that these points here. I don't know about you, but I am more afraid of God's wrath than anything else. As I read the scripture and I see what he's capable of, I see what he is willing to do to bring his children back to him, I do not want to suffer that and I do not want that for you. But he is a good father. And good fathers pursue their children even when their children don't want a relationship with them. Our God spanks, okay? 
He says, I'm going to throw them onto a sickbed. I'm going to throw them into tribulation. I will strike her children dead. That is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of God. Also, you see here on, on my notes, it's final. Nobody can stop him. I mean, if you, if you read through this, look at all the I statements that he has. Jesus appeals to no one else. He says, I will do this. I will do that. I will do the next thing. I am the one. I do not delay. I say. When God decides to do something, that's it. And lastly, I hope you need to understand too that God's discipline is always fair. He says in the text, I gave her time to repent and she didn't. They didn't. He also says, I'm going to do these things and then what does he, say? What does he end it with? Unless they repent. Think of Nineveh, right? Think of Sodom and Gomorrah. Think of all these other things throughout history where if it would have just been that they would repent, they would have been spared. And think of all the ones throughout that we've read about that people did repent, and so they were spared. God's discipline is fearful, it is final, and it is fair. He says, I will give to each of you according to your works. And he says, I do not lay on you any other burden, only hold fast. And so as you write down the things uh, that, one, that God has laid on your heart that is the Jezebel that you are been tolerating, the poison that you are continuing to ingest that needs to be expelled, and that which God would rather have you replace it with that you're going to seek to put on through prayer and humble submission to him, I want to tell you about what the Lord's desire is for you. Revelation 2, 26-29 says, the one who conquers and who keeps my works until the end, to him I will give authority over the nations. And he will rule them with a rod of iron as when earthen pots are broken in pieces. Even as I myself have received authority from my Father, and I will give him the morning star. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Here's what the Lord's desire is. Firstly, the Lord's desire is that you conquer. You know, if you're, if you're here this morning, so I, I understand how I started this, and, and, and so I, I want to I tie that together. I do understand that pornography is, generally speaking, more of a man's problem. I know it's not just a men's problem. Statistics show that. But I, but I do understand it's majority men's problem. Men, so well, everybody, if that's something that you need freedom from, do you know that it is possible? It is possible. I, I'm not, I'm not going to tell you it's easy. I, I'm not going to tell you that, that you're going to be perfect for the rest of your life and that there's never going to be any kind of other struggle or anything like that. I'm also not going to tell you that it's not going to be um, embarrassing and difficult to deal with. But what God's word says, and this doesn't just go for pornography. I mean, this is for if you're a gossip or if you're an overeater or if you're a, an angry person who flies off the handle or if you're prideful and you deal with thinking you're already perfect and none of this sermon even applies to you. Like, there's something here for all of us. And what I'm telling you is God wants you to be a conqueror over these things. He is not just simply looking out here thinking, 
shaking his finger at all of us and saying, you guys are just terrible and I can't believe it, but it's a good thing my son died because I can barely even look at you. I mean, yeah, I guess that's true. We're wretches, but what he wants is for you to be victorious. He wants for you to not only experience repentance, but then the fruit of that repentance and the life lived with him. He wants for you to conquer. He also wants that you would preserve, that you would persevere. He's not against you. He's for you. He says, I will give you my Holy Spirit that will dwell with you so that you can put on the full armor of God and so that you can stand during the time. He says, resist the devil and he will flee from you. He's fighting alongside you, not against you. No temptation comes from God. And then also, if that wasn't enough, he he also wants for you to be rewarded. So he is long-suffering with you, waiting for you to decide that you also want to conquer whatever that Jezebel is on your sheet. He wants to give you his Holy Spirit and the strength. And also, just so you know, he wants to give you the community of other brothers and sisters in Christ. You know what the Bible says that we don't practice very much, as much as we should? He says, confess your sins to one another. Did you also know that in James, he talks about people who are suffering in sickness and stuff like that? And he's, it, part of what he says is part of the reason you're suffering that way is because you aren't confessing your sins and praying to one another? Yeah, come back Friday night. So there's, so, all right, so I don't know if I've said this from here. Maybe I have. During CR, there's this one testimony that, that, so there's lots of these testimonies that we've heard. There's one in particular that I really like that we've heard so far. We haven't heard all of them, so maybe I'll change my mind once we hear all of them, okay? But there's this one guy who says on there, he says, uh, if, if the church is a hospital, then CR is the ER. And I was like, well, that's great. Plus, also, if you knew his testimony, like he was a doctor who ended up getting addicted to his own pain meds and those kind of things. So bad, bad stuff that, that happened with that. But the point that Nick is making that I'm making with the text here and with that as a whole thing is this is a hospital. And, 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 and here's the deal. Every single one of us is a patient and every single one of us is a nurse. Isn't that cool? And so I'm so thankful that some of you are here to help bind up my wounds, and I'm thankful that I'm here to help bind up your wounds, and so, you, you know, we can do this together, and God wants for you to be rewarded. He wants for you to receive that stone we talked about. He wants for you to receive that crown that we talked about. He wants for you to see victory over these things. He wants for you to no longer have that guilt, that shame, that regret, that nagging feeling of sin that you need to deal with. He wants you to be free of those things. And that is why he never stops. That is why sanctification is a lifelong thing. And while one day, you know, today, I hope today, that you're going to get victory over that Jezebel thing today, I I hope, and this is the beginning of a a new walk for you, guess what? If you heard the same sermon next year, same thing, you'd you'd just have a new Jezebel to write on the card. And praise God for that. Praise God for that. Praise God for that for two reasons. One, because then the old Jezebel was dealt with, and now you have a new Jezebel to deal with. Praise God for that. Secondly, praise God that the Holy Spirit is continuing to work on you to bring those convictions in you. That alone should tell you and assure you of your salvation, if you ever doubt your salvation. If you continue to feel guilty for sin, that in and of itself is an act of the Holy Spirit to bring you closer to the Lord. So, here's my challenge to you. My challenge is to you that you don't walk out of here with a blank card in your pocket. I don't know what your sin is. 
but I know God does. He says he's got eyes that sees. He's the searcher of hearts. So whatever it is for you, brother or sister in Christ, I want freedom for you. I want conquering, persevering reward for you. And he tells us in Scripture that the way to get that is to not be tolerant, not be tolerant of the sin in our lives at least, and to cast it out and to replace it with godliness in a, in, a, in a new way. And we can only do that through Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. So my challenge to you is twofold. One, don't leave here today with an empty card in your pocket. And two, knowing what Scripture teaches us about bearing one another's burdens and lifting those things up, when those directories come out, before then, you, you don't have to wait for that, but when those directories come out, that you would make it a practice to actually pray for one another that sermons like this, that things like this would actually take root and change lives here at Allegan Bible Church. And furthermore, if you want to challenge for every other Christian that you know, and by the way, for every other non-Christian you know, because God can save people. So I don't have a good way to close, so we're just going to pray and close, okay? And then on your way out, throw away that Jezebel, cast it off, tape that thing on your mirror, and commit yourself to praying and seeking for the Lord to change your heart. Okay? Let's pray. God, our Father in heaven, we do thank you for texts like this. I thank you that you are long-suffering with us. I thank you that you have told us that if we repent, just like this church, that if we repent, that you will restore, you will renew, that you desire for us to conquer and to persevere and to be rewarded. Let us, by driven, let us be driven by our love for you and our desire for you and not merely out of our own shame. God, we thank you. We thank you that when you see us, you see past just our sin, you see to that which we can be in your son, Jesus Christ. Help us, we pray then, as individuals but also as a church, to be intolerant of the Jezebels of this world that we would cast them out, that we would assure our position with you by your grace and for your glory. And all God's people said, amen. Let's, let's stand and sing.